encourage you to go ahead and be taking out your Bible. <clears throat> Follow along this morning to test what I have to say to see if it is by the Word of God. If we find it to be true, I hope that we can take it and apply it in our everyday walks of life. As Dottie mentioned, we're going to be studying today as well as one lesson each of the next two weeks to finish up the five lesson series. Going to be studying the topic of prayer. This morning for the Bible class period, we're going to talk about the need to pray. Why is it we need to spend time in prayer? In the worship hour to follow, we're going to talk about the contents of prayer. What is it that ought to be included in our prayers? And we'll take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and talk in verses 1 and 2 and talk about the contents of prayers as Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This evening, we're going to talk about how we pray. The Bible doesn't just tell us about what we're to pray for and why we're to pray, but it tells us how we are to pray. And so tonight, we're going to talk about how we pray. Next week, we'll talk about the assumptions about prayer. You know, there's some natural assumptions we make when it comes to prayer. And, and so we want to talk about those, those next week, those assumptions that we make that are not necessarily true. And so we'll talk about that next week. And then the week to follow, we'll talk about some things that can hinder our prayer life. The Bible talks about hindrances to prayer. What can it be that is hindering my prayer life? But as I already stated, we're going to begin this morning by talking about the need to pray. Before we go any farther in the study of prayer and talk about what it, what is made up of, what prayer is made up of and how we pray and the assumptions of prayer and what can hinder my prayers is we've got to first and foremost understand the fact that there is a need to pray. We need to pray to God. And so this morning, we want to we want to take that idea of the need to pray and, and, and take a look at it as, as to why when we in this Bible class period, when we in this period, why is it that we need to spend time in prayer to God? The first and foremost reason that we need to spend time in prayer is because we are commanded to pray. We need to spend time in prayer to God because God has commanded us to pray. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll talk about this passage more tonight when we talk about how we pray. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as Paul is coming to the end of the book in 1 Thessalonians, and he's giving these exhortations beginning at verse 12 and going on through verse 22, he says in verse 16 and 17, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. He's commanding them here, the church at Thessalonica, that they should pray and pray without ceasing. We'll talk more tonight about what it means to pray without ceasing. It is being constant. We'll talk more about that tonight. But I want us to understand first and foremost that he's commanding them here to pray without ceasing. This is a command, not a suggestion. In fact, not only are we commanded to pray, we are commanded to pray for others. Look in, in 1 Thessalonians, if your Bibles are already open there, look at verse 25 of chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look in verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. Paul is requesting here, from those at Thessalonica, that they pray for him and pray for those that are with him. Pray for us. 
In James chapter 5, probably one of the more well-known passages on prayer that we'll visit time and time again, but in James chapter 5, we're very familiar with the last half of verse 16. In James chapter 5 and in verse 16 where he says in the last half of verse 16 about the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But I want you to back up with me to the beginning of verse 16. We'll talk more about this in the next hour. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. We'll talk about the context of the confessing the trespasses and praying for somebody's sins to be forgiven more next hour. But I want us to understand and, and to see here that he's telling them and commanding them here, James is, to pray for one another. Again, just like praying without ceasing, this is not a suggestion but a command. And it's important we pray for one another, and we're commanded to pray for one another in many aspects. But look at Matthew chapter 9. This is Jesus as He's talking in Matthew chapter 9. Really, if you back up into verse 37, He says to His disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then here's the command He gives them. Therefore, pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Now this text he's talking about praying that those who, that those will go out, the laborers will go out and teach those that are lost. That they can go out and teach the lost, but we're still here he's commanding to pray to the Lord, and they're praying in this case really for two things. You're praying that those that are lost might hear the truth, because the laborers are going out and teaching them. And then we're praying that those that have the ability to teach, We'll go out and teach those that are lost. But we are commanded here nonetheless to pray for them. And so it's important that we pray because it is a command from God to pray without ceasing and to pray for others. That right there should suffice for why we need to pray. Because God commanded us to But not only do we need to spend time in prayer because God has commanded that we pray, but we need to spend time in prayer because it is how we communicate to God. And this right here, though it is something we are all aware of and very familiar with, I think becomes really one of the keys to everything else we're going to look at and everything else we're going to study. Because when we come to the understanding of prayer, and we know it's a way of communicating to God, but when we become aware of this, it affects the way in which I'm going to pray. We are aware of the fact that prayer is communication to God, but I think when we understand exactly what that means, then it makes our prayer life that much better. Consider that when we pray, it is the raising of voices to God. In Acts chapter 4, In Acts chapter 4, you're familiar with the story. In Acts 3 is where we have the healing of this lame man. And then when we come into Acts chapter 4, is where Peter and John have been questioned in the first half of Acts 4, where Peter and John have been questioned before the Jewish leaders. But they come down in verse 23 and come to their own companions. I believe that they're coming here to the other apostles and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. 
And so beginning at verse 24, and coming on through the end, uh, through verse 35, is where they are praying to God. But I want you to notice what it says as they begin their prayer in verse 24. So when they heard that, that is when, they, when the companions have heard the report that Peter and John have brought, they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. So in verse 24 here, they raised their voices to God with one accord. When we gather together, when somebody leads us in prayer, I think sometimes we, we begin to think of this prayer as when they're leading in prayer, we can easily become distracted at times. But what they're doing is they're, they're the one leading it, but we're all with one accord praying to God. It's the lifting of the voices or the raising of the voices together to God with one accord in the case of the public prayer. But it's our way of communicating to God. You notice the voices were raised to God. In prayer. But prayer is not just the raising of the voices together to God, but it is in the Lord's presence. It is in the Lord's presence. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord... And said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? I want you to notice as he comes and he gathers together to pray, that it says he went in and sat before the Lord. It's in the Lord's presence. I think this is really what's going to help us in our prayer life, is that sometimes when we come to prayer... It is, we may not be as focused as we need to be in our prayers at times. And, and, and when we come together to pray, sometimes in our prayers it becomes because we, we pray so often that, that we, when we come to pray that it becomes almost as if it's just a casual conversation. We gather together to, we, we pray to God, but because we pray before every meal and because we pray before we go to bed or we pray when we get up in the morning, when we come to pray to God, it becomes as if it's just a mere repetition. But we're praying to the Creator. We're in the Lord's presence when we pray to Him. Think about it this way. If you were told that this afternoon you were going to meet the President of the United States, and when you met them, you would treat them with respect when you were in their presence. If you were meeting the governor, you would treat the governor with respect when you were gathered together in their presence. You would speak in a respectful way when you were there in their presence. But the reason we need to pray is when we're communicating to God and we're in His presence, and that's going to help us in our prayer life when we come to understand that. Yes, I know we're very much aware of the fact that prayer is in the Lord's presence. But I think sometimes we're aware of a fact, but it's a lot harder to make that application that when I'm praying, I'm praying to the Creator of all the world. I'm praying to the One that sent His Son to die for me. 
When I'm gathered together, when I'm praying to the Lord and I'm in His presence, that's why we pray in a respectful way. I heard the story one time of someone that got up on Father's Day and before he began his prayer just made a comment about Happy Father's Day, Daddy. Talking to God. Not talking about His physical Father. He's our Heavenly Father. And when we pray, we pray in a respectful way. He's Lord. He's Creator. He's our Heavenly Father. And so when we, when we pray to God, we are in His presence. We need to make sure we're praying as if we're in His presence because we're communicating to the Creator. The prayer or a petition is to the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 6 and in verse 19, Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you. Prayer is before God. In Nehemiah chapter 1 and in verse 4, remember the story of Nehemiah as the book of Nehemiah opens up. And he's told, and uh, in, in verse 1 it talks about the time in which he is in the twelfth year, and I was in Sushan in the citadel that Hannah and I, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And he asked them about, about how they're going. The survivors who are left, this is what they said to him in verse 3, are left from the captivity in the province or in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So Nehemiah, and the book of Nehemiah is one of the great examples on prayers. Nehemiah goes to God in prayer time and time again. But Nehemiah chapter 1 and in verse 4, the first prayer we have recorded for us of Nehemiah. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He's fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Prayer is in the presence of God. It's our way of communicating to God. And I'm, unfortunately, I'm afraid sometimes that we may take, we may take advantage of that or take it for granted that we can pray to the Creator. You know, if I told you that I had the phone number of the president, you would think, well, he must be somebody important. He could just call the president up, and if I called him up, he would answer my phone call. You would think, man, he's got to be somebody important be able to call the president up. Consider the fact that we have a way of communicating with the Creator of all the world. You know why we need to spend time in prayer? Because it's our way of communicating to God who created us, who sent His Son to die for us. We've got to make sure we're spending time in prayer because it is our way of communicating to God. We often talk about the importance of a Bible study because it's God's way of communicating to us His will. But Just as important in your spiritual life is your prayer. You can tell a lot about the about how faithful somebody is as a Christian from two things. Are they spending time in study? And are they spending time in prayer? Are they communicating with their Heavenly Father? 
Let me tell you, we need to pray not just because it is commanded, and we need to pray not just because it's how we communicate to God, but we need to make sure that we're spending time in prayer because prayer can help in our time of need. Prayer can help in our time of need. And it helps at all times of need when we spend time in prayer. One of those is it can help us in the times of trials or tribulations. When we face trials and, and, and tribulations, persecutions, then we need to make sure we're spending time in prayer. Think about the story that we already looked at in Acts chapter 4. Go back with me there to Acts chapter 4. Beginning at verse 23 and going through verse 31, where we have the prayer recorded of the apostles. Again, remember the context. So they called them, verse 18, and commanded them not to speak at all or teach, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So that's when in verse 19 and 20, where we have that statement we're, we're very well familiar with, where Peter and John answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, verse 21 says, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For this man was over 40 years old of whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So here Peter and John are commanded, don't teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they are threatened. Here's the first thing they do. They come back, they tell their companions, verse 23, and here's their prayer. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of Your servant David has said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly against Your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, listen closely to verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Here's the prayer of the apostles. That we've under, we, we've been threatened, Lord. We've been threatened not to speak anymore. But look on their threats and grant us that we may have boldness. The prayer of the apostles was not that it would just go away because sometimes trials do not just go away. Their prayer was not that they could, that they would no longer be threatened because they knew that the Jews would continue to threaten and persecute them. But their prayer was that they could have boldness, that they could still, despite the threats, continue to preach the gospel. When we are in the time of trial and we face, temp we face, we face a trial, whether it's a persecution or a trial of any kind, we need to pray for boldness that we can stand firm. We need to pray like the apostles did, that we can have the boldness that no matter what happens, and we will be willing to stand firm for the cause of Christ. Do you think the prayer helped? 
When in chapter 5, they're taken back in. And in chapter 5, they're brought before the Jewish leaders. And they're questioned again. And it's there that the statement that we know, that we're more familiar with is made by Peter. We ought to obey God rather than men. You think the prayer for boldness helped? As they stood there and boldly continued to preach the gospel just a short time later. We need to make sure when we're in the face of trials that we pray for boldness that we can stand firm. We don't only need to pray for boldness in the midst of trials. We need to pray for wisdom. Look at James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience, but patience, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. He tells them in verse 5 to pray for wisdom. I think there's two aspects to the wisdom that's prayed for. Number one, we are praying for wisdom that we can have the wisdom to stand firm in the face of the trial. We need to pray for wisdom that even though I'm facing this, this trial, that I can stand firm. That's the, we need to pray for wisdom to stand firm. But I think in the immediate context, the indication is that we're praying for wisdom that we see the benefits of trials. You know, trials can have great benefits. No, we, we don't enjoy trials. Trials are not something that we think of as fun. Nobody just asks, nobody just says, you know, I really can't wait to face another trial. But you know, we can learn some great lessons in the midst of trials. Count it all joy, my brother, when you fall into various trials. I think beginning at verse 2 and going through verse 8 of James chapter 1, he's talking about the benefits of trials. And we're needing to ask for wisdom, not just that we can stand firm in trials, but we also need to pray for God, to God for wisdom, that we have the wisdom to see the benefits of the trials that we face. That when I'm facing an adverse circumstance, and I don't understand, and I get frustrated, that I realize there is some benefit that can be had from this. Maybe the benefit is the patience that's produced. Maybe it's the fact that it proves my faith genuine. Maybe it's the fact that it makes me go on to maturity. Those are things talked about in this text. But whatever it is, I need to understand that I, that I need to pray to God for wisdom in trials. That when I pray for wisdom, I can first and foremost endure trials. But I can also see that there's a benefit to it. That maybe I'm learning an important life lesson in the midst of this trial. You know, not only do we need to pray for wisdom and boldness, but we need to pray that ultimately God's will be done. We talk about the facing of, uh, of trials. I would say the night before the Lord is put on an actual trial to be put to death, and He's standing there, having the power to that He can simply call 10, 12 legions of angels, and it would be done. He could have been delivered. He had the power to do so. 
but he knows that he needs to die for the world, I would say that what Jesus is going through here would be considered a trial. Listen to the prayer of our Lord. Look at verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And you think about Jesus' prayer here in the face of trial, that he's praying, yeah, I, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But ultimately, Lord, let your will be done. When we're facing trials, sometimes we just want the trials to go away. We just wish the trials would just disappear and be done. Maybe in the midst of trials or suffering, we pray to God for something, and then what we prayed for doesn't happen. We need to make sure that when we're praying to God in those trials, that ultimately, that we're praying that even though this is what I will, that ultimately, Lord, your will be done. That'll help us in the face of trials. But not only can, can prayer help us in the face of trials, prayer can help us in the midst of temptation. We need to pray first and foremost to avoid temptation. Your Bible's still open to Matthew 26. Look at verse 41. Jesus prayed in verse 39 and He comes back to those that are with Him. And then in verse 41 He says, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, we need to pray to God that we can avoid temptation. Temptations are going to come. We need to pray to God that we can find a way to avoid the situations that put us there to be tempted. Pray to God that we can avoid temptation. We need to pray to God for grace to help in the time of need. Look at Hebrews 4. Again, we'll look more detail tonight at this passage in Hebrews chapter 4. But Hebrews chapter 4, beginning of verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know when you're in your time of need, you can pray to God that you can obtain mercy and find grace to help you. When you're in the face uh, of temptation, that's, that's, he's ultimately pointing out in verse 15 that we, don't, that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us because he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's why we can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can find mercy and we can find grace to help in the time of need. But we need to pray not only that we can avoid temptation and not only for grace to help in the time of need, but we need to pray that our faith not fail. Go to Luke 22. Luke 22. Here Jesus is talking with his apostles and he says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, and did Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I think oftentimes we go to this text and we think about the fact that he prays that the faith of Simon not fail and then, and then here Peter or Simon turns around and denies the Lord three times. 
I think what we need to understand is we need to pray that our faith not fail. Does not mean that we're not going to sin, but we're going to deal with sin when we do. Look again at the text. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may shift you as wheat. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Then the question really is raised, did the faith of Simon fail him when he denied the Lord three times? Listen to what the Lord says next. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. We, we are, if we serve the Lord very long, going to sin at some point. From the time we obey the gospel, we will at some point sin. But we need to pray that when we face temptations and we face sin and we do sin, that our faith not fail and we realize that we've been guilty of sin and that we will turn back to serving God. Look again. And when you have returned to me, we need to pray that even though we may face temptations and even though we may from time to time sin, that our faith not fail and that we'll turn back to serving God. Just as the prayer of the Lord was for Peter. And ultimately, we need, we need to understand that, we, that prayer helps in the time of need because we can cast our cares upon God. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse 7, Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. It says all your cares. You're not just casting your cares, but all your cares on Him. We can cast all our cares on Him. It could be a trial. It could be a temptation. It could simply be that we need the necessities of life and we're praying to God. But we need to understand that prayer can help. But finally this morning, we've seen the need to pray because it's commanded. It's how we communicate to God and it helps in the time of need. But we need to pray to God because it can help in our spiritual growth. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Turn to Colossians chapter 1 with me. The book of Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9 and going through verse 12, is Paul's prayer for the brethren at Colossae. Oftentimes throughout these, the epistles of the Apostle Paul, he will have a prayer that he offers for the brethren. That, that you, you'll read them in these epistles. And in Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9 and going through verse 12, is Paul's prayer for the brethren at Colossae. And in this prayer, he mentions several things that pertain to spiritual growth. Look at Colossians 1, beginning at verse 9. Here's what Paul says about spiritual growth in his prayer. Here's what we need to pray for ourselves. Here's what we need to pray for one another. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We need to pray first and foremost that we're filled with knowledge and wisdom. This idea of being filled is to the very top, filled to the very top. Could you imagine if you had a cup and you filled it all the way up to just one more drop, it would spill over. That's the idea of being filled with the knowledge of His will and wisdom. It's filled to the very top. But not only do we pray that we're filled with the knowledge of will, we need to pray for spiritual growth that we could walk worthy. Look at verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. We need to pray that we're walking worthy. That's part of our spiritual growth. When we're spiritually growing as we should and we're filled with the knowledge of His will, we're going to continue to walk as we should. 
I think no passage better illustrates the idea of walking worthy than in the book of Ephesians beginning at chapter 4 and going through chapter 6. Where in chapter 4 and in verse 1, the point is made to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And then I think beginning at that point on, he talks about what that means. You endeavor to keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace, chapter 4, verses uh, 2 through 6. In Ephesians chapter 4. Or verses, verses 1 through 6. You do your part, everybody do their part, verses 7 through 16 of chapter 4. You make sure you're not living like the world, but you're living for God. You are this new creature created in the likeness of God. Chapter 4, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. You make sure that you're being imitators of God as dear children. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. You make sure you're what you ought to be in each and every relationship. Whether that's the husband-wife relationship in verses 22 through the end of the chapter of chapter 5. The parent-child relationship in chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. And then in what he, what is here, the slave and master relationship, but it would be more comparable today to the employee-employer relationship in verses 5 through verse 9. And then finally, you make sure you're walking worthy by fighting the good fight and putting on the whole armor of God. That's the point in Ephesians 4, 1 through, Ephesians 4, 1 through chapter 6 and in verse 18 is making sure you're walking worthy of the calling with which you were called. But in all of we need to walk worthy. We need to make sure we're being fruitful. We're producing fruit. Fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work. When you're walking worthy and you're being fruitful, right in between those two is what the result is, and that is we're fully pleasing to God. Look again in the text. You walk worthy. So we need to pray that we're filled with knowledge and wisdom according to verse 9. We need to pray that we're walking worthy, verse 10. We need to pray, and it's not on the board, but we need to pray we're fully pleasing to God. We need to pray we're being fruitful in every good work. And finally, that we're increasing in knowledge. I think this is an important, important to understand that he's prayed in verse 9, and this is why it's such a great prayer on spiritual growth. He's prayed in verse 9 that they're filled with all, with knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's filled to the very top. You can't fill it anymore. But then he prays in verse 10 that they increase in knowledge. Increase in the knowledge of God. Even though that you are filled, you can continue to increase because maybe your ability to understand increases. But I think another, it's better translated in other translations where it talks about increasing by the knowledge of God. You've been filled to the very top. You are filled with this knowledge, but because you are filled with this, you continue to increase because of your knowledge. And so we need to pray for one another that we're filled with wisdom and knowledge, that we're walking worthy, that we're being fruitful, and that we're increasing by the knowledge. As some translations would translate it there. And so we need to make sure that we're praying because prayer can help in our spiritual growth. And we need to pray the prayer just like Paul did. We need to pray that we're filled with knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We need to pray that we walk worthy of the Lord. They were fully pleasing to Him, fruitful in every good work, and were increasing in knowledge. And there's more to that prayer there as it goes on through verse 12. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the line. 
And so we need to make sure we're praying the prayer like Paul prayed here in the book of Colossians because prayer can help in our spiritual growth. We always talk about the importance of Bible study for spiritual growth, but again, just as important to your spiritual growth is making sure you're spending time in prayer to God. If I'm studying and not praying, then I'm not going to grow as I should. If I'm praying but not studying, I'm not going to grow as I should. It takes the two together. They work together and they go hand in hand. So what have we seen this morning? Before we move any farther in the study, we have to understand why we need to pray. We need to pray because God commanded us to. We need to pray because it's how we communicate to God. We pray because prayer helps us in the time of need, whether that's in trials or in temptations. And we pray because prayer can help in our spiritual growth. And again, next hour, we're going to talk about the contents of our prayer.